0: Hello everyone, welcome to AMT's Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing, technology, research, and news. I am Benjamin Mose, Director of Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, Technology Analyst. What's up, Ben? Steve, I don't know why I'm holding this sheet of paper and looking at it. I do that every time for the intro, and it's like a sentence. <laughs> you know what? You know
1: what's <laughs> funny? I'm glad you said that, because I'm looking down here at like my notes on my phone, right. and it, it, I posted my notes on a Slack channel. And of course, with my post, it says my name right above <laughs> it, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's my name. <laughs> I won't, I'll be able to remember it when we're doing this intro, so that's why I had that dumb grin on my face.
0: Like we got this, we got it. We the intro is done. Well done, well done, Steve. Uh, earlier we we're talking about like um, electrification yes. and motor vehicles. You brought up an interesting point on electric motorcycles.
1: Electric motorcycles are failing. They're
0: failing. What's the deal?
1: So, so I saw this. So, great. Moment. Okay,
0: you are a motorcycle enthusiast.
1: Yes. So I just want to give a little background. I'm a gear in. I'm a gearhead. Gearhead. All right. Um, which which I used to be a car enthusiast. Right. And I still am a car enthusiast. That's, I don't know. I'm not wording any of this right. But i, I originally a car enthusiast. And um, I like to use the term gearhead now because I like a lot more things than just cars now. Right. Uh, watches, firearms, motorcycles. Everything intricate. They all have gears. Right. They're all mechanical. <laughs> Sadly, a lot of them have computers too. But, <laughs> I'm not a Luddite though. Um, but anyway... So so let's let's take a step back. Look look at cars again. Right. Um, if you look at the big electric car company Tesla, sure they're, they've taken off. Um, they originally I saw them as a luxury vehicle company. Right. And I say that only because you know another company's stepping in now called Lucid. Right. Still haven't seen a Lucid car. i have seen one. a few like articles. I don't think I ever. <laughs> they say they're based in California, but if you like, at least the wiki page says. Like the founders are all like Chinese, right, and this this is a Chinese company right right, for sure, but they they're trying to make like you know the luxury electric Correct. vehicle, which I coming back to what I said earlier, I always thought, oh, you know, Tesla already had that, you know they are sure. pretty luxuries, they're expensive, right, the interiors are nice, but apparently, I guess they think you know. Go- and Tesla's like BMW Mercedes level. Sure. Lucid's going for that, like electric Rolls Royce.
0: That's, that's a high, and it's high like, tier. How about, how about you give it a little bit of time?
1: Like by 2035, I'm sure Rolls <laughs> Royce will have an electric vehicle. Absolutely. Like, yeah. like, I don't know what, who you think you are, <laughs> what your credentials are, but anyway, electric vehicles are taking off. Right. There's the Nissan Leaf. There's the Chevy Volt. Sure. It all started with like the Prius and actually the insight, but right. we won't get into that debate. Um, <laughs> And even before then, um, the EV1 by Chevy, sure, the GM sure. product. Yep. Uh, But that that's another one we really don't need to get into. Anyway, <laughs> electric vehicles. Um, I think there's like some government mandate saying that all manufacturers sold in the U.S. need to have at least one EV or majority hybrids by 2025. Sure. And some countries, maybe even the U.S. I, I, I'm speaking out of my line at a line right now, but maybe even the U.S. are saying, yeah, we want all electric new vehicles have to be all electric new cars sure. have to be all electric by 2035 right. something like that. Right, which uh, makes me a little sad, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's progress. Right. Um, I hope <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess, but uh, you know, even before electric vehicles going back to like the, the gearhead part of me. Right. You know, I uh, am an enthusiast and enthusiast car people car, car, yeah, car people um, you know, they don't make car companies money. Sure. You know, sure. when, an, when a car company uh kneels to the enthusiast fan base and makes an enthusiast car, they never buy them. Right. I mean, they sell pretty well, but like, if you look at the sales of like the Mazda Miata, right. a proper driver's car, an enthusiast car, the, um, the, the good Porsches, like the Cayman sure. not to insult your Porsche, <laughs> uh, but like, right. the, like the Cayman and like the Boxster right. and like the, the the gt3 touring right. you know the really crazy expensive ones that on paper aren't impressive anymore compared right. to like the hybrid panamera yep. uh in all wheel drive um you know they don't even compare to like the ford f150 <laughs> or the toyota corolla Correct. it's like this is a successful sports car it sold 2500 <laughs> this year and it's like that's that's, that's nothing, nothing. <laughs> they don't make the car companies money Correct. They cost a lot of money to the car companies in terms of research and development right. and production, but they make none of that back. Correct. Well, all, they're they're happy to break even. Sure. With them. Sure. Um. So enthusiasts like myself are because I'm living romantically in the '90s and <laughs> like like late '90s, early 2000s when cars were at their best. Uh, You know, and a light car was considered like twenty five hundred pounds. Right. These days, you'd be happy to get a car under three thousand pounds, <laughs> and even that's pushing it. That's yeah. Um, you know, it's it's people like myself have to go to motorcycles. Sure, if we're out of our mind enough, right? Um, because it's the only place where you can go to get a high revving, naturally aspirated internal combustion engine. Right, because all cars today are turbo. If yeah, not, our yeah. going turbo, right. um, and the EPA doesn't help with that. Um, and manual transmission, forget it. Right, you're lucky to find it as an option. And if you do find it as an option, you no longer as a as a car person, you no longer can pull that argument saying that oh well the manual's more efficient. Right, it's less expensive. And um, it's faster. It's not. It anymore. is none of the above anymore. It's not just like, oh, well, it's still more efficient or, right. oh, well, it's still less expensive. It's none of that. Right. It is usually a an upgrade right, or, or an option.
0: You even mentioned developing countries are shifting away from manual transmission. A
1: lot of a lot of developing like third world countries. Right. It's getting harder. Like it used to be unrealistic to go if you were vacationing or visiting a third world country yep. for whatever reason that you could get a rental car with an automatic.
0: Right, right.
1: It's it's becoming less and less. Yep. Like you can actually, it, well, it used to be that you couldn't even find one. Right. Now it's at least, you know, you can find one. It's an option. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's it just, it, they're everywhere yep. now and they're taking over. So I think the enthusiast base, it's people like me that it's our fault that electric <laughs> motorcycles haven't taken off. Right. Harley Davidson had the live wire, yep. but they've mothballed it. Yeah, they haven't stopped. Yeah. Well, they haven't like canceled it, right? But they stopped production and they're like, we only sold like 600 in two years. So
0: <laughs> they're still hoping.
1: Um, and then on top of that, as an as a you know, just like the cars, all of that torque, like right. the maximum torque is available at zero RPM. Yeah, that's yeah. terrible for a beginner rider.
0: <laughs> you know, the last thing right a beginner
1: hands. rider wants to do is accidentally wheelie, right? Yep. And those things are like almost guaranteed to wheelie. Yeah, um. I think the only dedicated electric uh, motorcycle company out there is a company called zero. Right. And they're only still in business and still up and running because they've secured some serious police and military contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Which that makes sense. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Everybody loves a mill spec thing. (laughs) They've, they've landed it and it's an American company too. So they're quite literally the Tesla of motorcycles. Right. But Nobody looks at them and says, man, that's nice. I want that one of <laughs> that's these fair. days. You know, yeah. So eh, it's, maybe. it's it's people like my fault.
0: Uh, we'll still keep seeing new electric motorcycle startups come around. I feel like that's that's the thing. I feel they're like, not done yet. They're not no, dead yet. No. And it's, I think, so. They're in bad shape. In the U.S. motorcycle, I feel like the market is more of a niche market anyway. I don't think it's a huge market in the U.S. I feel right. like, you know, there's pockets. And I think you're right. You have to be an enthusiast. You need the culture behind it. I don't think electric motorcycles have developed that culture for enthusiasts just yet. Motorcycles, and I think
1: and I think you're absolutely right. And I think motorcycles are the new manual transmission.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you right, want a right. manual, why even bother right. with a car? Right. Which Let's is get a bike. Which is unfortunate because I love a manual transmission. Yeah. There's no way in hell I'm going to buy a They're motorcycle. So slow. Well, in this area, plus it's scary to drive a motorcycle. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, no.
1: I thought I thought you were going to go. I want, I love a manual transmission there's no way in hell I'm buying a manual transmission car these days, (laughs) especially with what you've been used to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The previous car had the automatic transmission, the manual mode was, I would say that's impressive. I would say it's close to like dual clutch style, fast uh, transmission speed. And you know, going from a Volkswagen Golf, a manual transmission to that, that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. It was a higher revving, fast uh, motor. Now that I have this boat of a car, Mm Mm-hmm. It's not nimble and the transmission slow. I'm like, mm. if it's slow, I might as well go manual. I'll have fun with it. But in this case, like to get one, it's almost impossible.
1: Right. Right. So that's, I've been that's really hard. impressed with um, when I test drove uh, the Lexus performance cars. Right. The the I'm trying to keep this short. The the automatics. <laughs> yeah. Lexus has some of the greatest automatics and yeah. they're automatic. They're not dual clutches. Correct. They're automatics. Right. They have found the perfect middle ground between. Fast shifting, right. not lightning quick shifting sure. like a dual clutch, Just fast. but fast shifting. But also you don't feel it. That's cool. It's they've done such a good job with that. That's but cool. the good news, the good news to come out of all of this, like sadness that has overcome <laughs> me uh, is. At least with the existence of motor, uh, internal combustion engines, right. still gear manufacturers still exist.
0: <laughs> we, we love those right. people. Absolutely. Let's get some articles, man. I got yes. one on woodworking not quite. Okay. I would say a wheelhouse, but very fascinating. I mean, when you talk about woodworking, it's it's uh, I think the conception uh the preconceived notion of it is some dude in the backyard with a with a with a chisel making furniture.
1: I like to think of um Louisville Slugger, the factory. <laughs> sure. They've got a bunch of lathes. Right. Now we're right. used to work use or thinking of um metalworking lathes. Correct. The same and thing. It's kind of like that, just a right. different material, but right. sawdust is really like flammable and dangerous.
0: <laughs> so, uh, in this article, they're talking about the robotics revolution in woodworking. Uh, Whoa. So, they're talking about, uh, I'll say, you know, high, not high volume, but more consumer grade or large volume manufacturing. Yeah. So, it's not your custom wood. It's not, you're going to not <laughs> visit a guy to make a custom table for you in that scenario. You're, they're making cabinetry and that type of stuff, which there are high variations within that process. So, it's a, high volume slash high variation type process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's um, the woodworking industry is see- seeing a lot of the issues that um, a lot of under- in- industries are seeing of they needed high talent or um, high-skilled workforce to yeah. do those type of tasks. Now they're able to try and augment some of the other tasks with robots. Um, and they go through a couple of scenarios where they're automatically feeding CNC routers or computerized bandsaws um, they're also using robots to sort, stack, and direct those parts to other places in the production. Um, and now they're also exploring, obviously, sanding and finishing, which is been run. Uh, that is the one for a while. Think about think
1: about. So sanding takes so much time, right? And if you can get a robot to do it, you'd need a robot with a really advanced vision system, right? And you would need a, a a generation three robot, a third gen robot for that. A cobot or an industrial robot wouldn't be enough, I would think. Yeah, you would need something that's implementing like an AI or machine learning to make sure you're getting a perfectly smooth surface, right. and you're fall properly following the contours of each unique yep. part made.
0: And that's the interesting part, right? The when you look at parts that are uh, produced or uh, wood parts, they're, they always have very very complex uh, uh, surfaces. Yeah. So, the complexity of the surface plus to get a surface finish good to touch. Yeah. Right. It's not just good to look at, but you got to touch it. You could have two perfectly
1: identical cut pieces right. of wood, but the wood's still different, right? I, I see right. what you're saying. So, yep. like, there could be a knot yep. somewhere in exactly. one. And the robot would, you would probably want to be like, because I think, I would think you have to sand a knot slightly differently.
0: Maybe. It's I mean, it's probably going
1: to, the material is probably going to remove slower right
0: yeah it's differently differently that's right um so you know they've implemented these cases and those cases have been around in other metallic processes for a while they're implementing a lot of those and also talking about hey let's load all this into a truck with a robot too so it's fairly interesting look and what they're looking at in the future is that they want to use warehouse robots for pallet jacks to replace pallet jacks and forklifts which Mm -hmm. i think is very fascinating so it's not just hey, let's get a robot in the house they're kind of jumping generations to you know, current state of the art of hey we got warehouse robots let's let's put a big old robot in there have them lift this big bed of uh you know uh planks and wood and stuff and move it all around the facility so right. I think it's a fairly uh pretty cool look at uh the current state of the art in um, woodworking from uh, uh the woodworking network
1: yes I really like how that article if, if you scroll all the way to the bottom of that article and you see the the, the author right it's like this this gray bearded dude with like you know the the thick protective glasses and it's like this guy is like not just a woodworker this is this guy's a woodsman too right and he's becoming an evangelist for adopting robotics in the wood shop i think that is so cool the trickle down
0: from one industry (laughs) to another one you haven't used trickle down in a while i see i love using that you got one on uh 3d printing in space or 3D printing about space?
1: I have a
0: few articles. Which one did You're I? You're very to 3D start printing added. Yeah, today. that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll set your articles. Come on, darn! Steve, I forgot going. which
1: one I was. Was it going to be the ETF that I was going to start with first? Yeah. Okay, so there is an article that I found called "More Confirmation: 3D Printing Belongs in Space." Sure. You were right. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, now this article is from ETFTrends.com. Right which it's not quite manufacturing It's not, uh, <laughs> it's not a manufacturing website. It's right. not even a technology website. Right. This is a NASDAQ, you know, S and P 500 Dow Jones website. This, these are like wall street nerds. It's yeah, so
0: make money on money.
1: Um, so I just want to put it out there. We are not giving any financial advice. <laughs> Do not listen to us if we suggest anything and we won't suggest anything. So, uh, thanks. Steve. just want to cover the lawyers there. <laughs> um, but I did pull a really cool quote from the article, not an actual quote in the article, but like the article had two paragraphs that were nice that I wanted to touch on Right, um, that helped validate additive manufacturing and not just additive manufacturing, but additive manufacturing in space. And uh, the first one is, in addition, the 3D printing industry continues showing its relevance in the space race. Consider its applications in the construction of rocket engines, obviously an essential part of space exploration. So they're talking about obviously using additive to make the the rocket engines. Yep. And the next one is 3D printing, whether critics want to agree or not, is speeding along space-related technological advancements. There was a time when it took thousands of NASA engineers years to launch anything into space. Today, privately held Relativity Space can 3D print a rocket in just a couple of months. Yep. And so it, it's just... The rest of the article could, you know, it's it's talking (laughs) about market stuff. It's talking about an ETF called print or PRNT. You can search for it on your Robin hood app or whatever the kids are using. Um, (laughs) But
0: there's a two interesting, uh, you know, trends in that. Right. So you have, you know, the criticality of the parts. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are, if there's any issues, people will die. Right. So you're launching someone in space on 10,000 pounds of fuel. Yes. Right. And you're printing a, that basically, the nozzle, the engine, all the trans- fluid transfers from taking this explosive fluid into the engine and then combusting it out the back, right? So if there's f- flaws, issues on a uh, additively made part, that thing's going to explode, right? Yeah. So the idea of the confidence in being able to grow these parts where you're comfortable strapping people to this... Uh, explosive device basically so i think that's a a a new look at you know additive also
1: that's also a very grim outlook that the article also (laughs) touched on but but i like to look at this article for the confirmation that additive is here to stay (laughs) and it's
0: also going to space it's going to space and i like that you know i think space has the ability to harvest uh value from additive in terms of complexity also because they do touch on being able to reduce the number of components so being able to reduce like you know nuts bolts washers trying to put two pieces together to just grow it all together and you can build in the internal cavities uh into that uh, feature i think there's a lot of value in that both in you know reducing assembly time but also i can make more complex internal geometry where yes i don't have to worry about trying to bolt things together and seal them
1: also um just a transition to another article and then i'll give it back to you i promise um because i've also been following the market a little bit and uh I've been watching like big company GE have like the smallest uh, (laughs) uh, share price ever for like the past two years. GE uh, found an article about them. GE uses binder jetting to design the world's largest offshore wind turbine. That's cool. It's really cool. So like GE Additive has been crushing it, even though their share price won't necessarily (laughs) reflect it. Uh, I don't know what the rest of GE is doing, but GE Additive and GE Aerospace absolutely crushing it. That's true. And um, it's just really cool that like, we we don't get to see or hear about offshore wind turbines that much. Right. Other than that, you know, every other Yahoo that thinks of wind turbines is like, get them out of here. They're <laughs> they're wasteful. Yeah. And it's like, well, if, you know, if it's offshore, then you know it's out of sight, right. out of mind. So I don't think you need to worry <laughs> about it. But unless you're at the beach. GE's coming <laughs> and you see an, a, a turbine blade impaled a whale that's beached. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it, it's cool that. You know, GE's coming out and being like, yeah, we use additive. And we also made the biggest wind turbine
0: that's offshore. <laughs> so it's a nice little feat. I like that. And, you know, it's, it's energy scale. So we can talk about space, right? You know, rockets are fairly large, but then the components can be fairly small, right? The engine mm-hmm. itself is actually fairly small. But then you go to the other extreme of, that's probably one of the, one of the biggest structures other than like skyscrapers that we're manufacturing, right? Yeah. Going to a, a wind turbine that's several hundred feet tall. Mm-hmm. And the blades are that big. It's it's impressive. So be able to, uh, you know, support that manufacturing process with additive is great, and put it in
1: the ocean, and put it in the ocean where it, it last. It's not ruining the view of beautiful rolling hills <laughs> and amber waves of grain, of Virginia,
0: <laughs> sure, or wherever. But like,
1: and you know, originally I was like, man, that that can't. What if like a huge like storm takes one of those out, and sure. like, who's who's going to be like, which electric company or energy company is going to be like? <laughs> Yeah, we lost some wind turbines today. They're never going to come out forward with that stuff. They're like, oh, if man. it if it goes missing because like a storm or a big old tidal wave took it out, it's it's gone. It's gone. It's already in the <laughs> trash pile in the ocean. But I gotta say, one thing that that makes me happy about like offshore wind turbines is for every, you know, ten or so, I guess I'm, I'm pulling a pull total arbitrary number out of my head. Sure. Um, but uh, I guess for every ten. Offshore wind turbines, there are, that's right. one less right. offshore oil rig.
0: We'll come back to that later. Hopefully. <laughs>
1: we will come back to it Actually, later. Actually, yes.
0: yeah, there'll be a last article we talk about is uh, um, sustainability in manufacturing. So I'm glad you brought that up now. Uh, the article I want to talk about is World First Sidebot offers compact design, <gasps> high speed. I love this. What side do you know bot. about Sidebot, Steve?
1: So I don't want to rain on your parade, but this is like <laughs> a couple of weeks, if not months old. Sure. But I remember, I, so I put something. You know, weeks or months back in the weekly tech report uh about Sidebot. Right. Sidebot is my new robot hero <laughs> because um, so everybody knows Delta Arms. If you don't go to an IMTS and you'll be amazed by how stupid quick they are. They're fast. Yeah. Um, but there's never been a when we think about collaborative robots, we think of like, you know. Really slow robot arms. Sure. sure. <laughs> the opposite of like the fast Delta right.
0: robots. Well, it's, the speed is part
1: of the safety. Sidebot is, it is part of the safety. Right. Specifically, the energy, the Correct. force, That's the fair. Newtons. Yes. Um, 15 Newtons is the max, the regulatory max for a uh, cobot. It right. has to be under 15 or under. Um, sidetracked again. <laughs> uh, Sidebot is the very first Delta arm cobot.
0: That's right. So, this is a direct drive, pick and place uh, de- uh, robot. Uh, And then an article from uh, Packaging Digest talks about uh, work side by side with human workers in food, beverage, consumer goods, pharmaceutical, electrical, automotive Um, The company uh, is in this case, they're comparing it directly to cobots, which I I think that, you know, it's partly a marketing article, right? So it's it is 10 times faster than a cobot, but it's more in line to like a delta arm. Right. So the ability with uh, if we have the speed, but also the the. uh, safety to, for a human to work in that environment
1: so they're they're pulling the card of like you know do you know does the reader know their vocabulary <laughs> they're it's picking. like sure it's a lot faster than right. a conventional arm cobot right but is it faster than an industrial delta arm no
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they are picking their battles there so it's fair yeah. but I, I think they're they're offering different options right so instead still of,
1: cool still an industry first
0: so if the need if the primary need is to have a cobot. And then you're doing just pick and place, yeah. A, a a single arm cobot is going to be slower than what they're offering. So that's a cool article. I, I'm happy to see more uh, integrations with humans and robots working together. I think you know, yeah. I'm a big fan of hybrid uh, manufacturing and hybrid technologies in general. So I'm yeah, really and happy it's not like
1: it. delta arms are new, right? And certainly, well, certainly delta arms aren't new, and it's not like cobots are not new, right? But the cool thing about SideBot is there was the fact that Sidebot exists now right. is an indication that this isn't like some invention that somebody came up with.
0: <laughs> somebody has a need. So
1: somebody has a need for right. it. And right. this was this came out of necessity. Yeah. And I would love to see a facility that is running a Delta Cobot with uh, you know, their production line with other humans. We'll look around. Maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, that I Love Lucy episode where they're in the chocolate factory, <laughs> something like that. I'm really showing some age. That's, now. A, that's some quality television. Back in
0: black and white, dude. <laughs> so let me hit on this article, Steve, you and then it. if you're going to end on the uh, uh, sustainability. So I've got an article with all the buzzwords in it. <gasps> shirt uses flexible carbon nanotube fibers to keep tabs on the heart. Ben
1: Moses, <laughs> you're talking about carbon nanotubes? I'm, I'm bringing
0: carbon nanotubes Which up.
1: for like the fat past 20 years has been vaporware, yet people won't shut up about them.
0: Are they becoming real? Is it a real thing now? At a university at least. Okay. <laughs> so the idea behind the smartware uh, developed by Rice University, uh, the lab used conductive nanotube threads to weave uh, functionality into regular apparel. So in this particular case, they want to measure the functionality of the heart. Okay. Uh, uh, researchers have stated that nanotube fibers are soft and flexible, and clothing that incorporates them was machine washable. So obviously, wow. Uh, in the article from um, California News Times, they they show the the video of uh, kind of their demonstrator, and it's kind of like a um, like a Under Armour type sh- shirt. Okay. Because it's measuring uh, basically EKG of the heart, right? So yeah, um, it's got to be fairly uh, compressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have the sensor close to the heart, but they're routing the wiring down to, say, the rib cage, and then they have the um, electrical c- contacts coming out into the device that they're, you know, collecting the information on. So it's it's interesting that you know they're able to, uh, you know, solve the problem of embedding sensors into um, uh, clothing and make it usable. Obviously, yeah. you could just glue something to the <laughs> to a t-shirt and you make it an work. You put an Arduino or a Raspberry <laughs>
1: Pi on the back of your neck. <laughs>
0: Um, and the reason that they, uh, I think, went this route is one, the conductivity, but also they had um, uh, the straight carbon nanotubes were too small by itself to actually weave into the fabric. Wow. So they created like a very, very thin rope, you know, several layers of the tubes uh, to make into a thread. And then they use, you know, s- certain techniques. So if I want to make this in production, you know, how do I sew it? What patterns do I need? You know, what are the kind of limitations of how to implement this? And uh, they have a really good, <laughs> There's you know, carbon
1: nanotube yarn
0: yeah exactly wow (laughs) so this thing exists they tested it they got better results than you know all the other devices they compared it to and then when they added you know medical grade contacts and things like that then they saw a step a slightly step above what they tested uh so you know from the all intents and purposes of the article they have a thing that works you know weaving carbon nanotubes into um you know clothing and getting useful information out of it
1: that's so cool How close is it to actual production and not just university tests?
0: Probably a ways out. Um,
1: Didn't say anything like that.
0: Well, it is funded by the Air Force and like a bunch of other grants. (laughs) Okay. So I definitely see uh, applications, you know, going into... In a
1: G-suit, for sure. definitely.
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, measuring uh, heart rate, being able to measure blood pressure, all the air pilots' vitals, that could definitely be a plug-in into the suit. You plug that
1: in, it's in the suit, and you plug it into the plane? Yeah. And... You know, it detects that the pilot's about to pass out. Right. It, it starts limiting the G's. That would be, re- that's really cool.
0: Yep. Yep. So, you know, and of course, they're looking into, you know, how do we transmit the data, right? So you could always go wired connections like they do in the demonstrator, but now you could put a Bluetooth adapter or some other low power Wi Fi device where you could wirelessly transmit it. And so, yeah, I I think it's a very that's good demonstrator so cool. that, you know, um, wearable electronics, other than the watch, it's, you know more hearsay. Carbon nanotubes is hearsay. Yeah. Somehow they combined the two and made it work. So wow, it's fairly fascinating. That's a big deal. Big deal. All right. And what's your last article, Steve? Last one. I think fi- I
1: figured we could have a discussion about this. So 3D printing media network. Yep. Nice respectable. We like their news. Yes. Their article posed as a question. <laughs> so we all know the law of you know uh, newsletter editorials. If you ask a question as the title of your article, the answer is almost always no. That's fair. It's like 80% that percentage may be a lie. I don't <laughs> know. Um, but it's going to be no. Um, can AM additive manufacturing help fight climate change with a more sustainable production? When I read this, yeah, tell me what you, tell me your thoughts, Steve. I immediately said, "Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course." And then I thought about <laughs> it.
0: I was like, "Nah, <laughs> yes and no." Okay.
1: Like immediately you start from square one. Let's right. say you go home, you go to Staples <laughs> or wherever the home kits are sold these days. You go buy a 3D printer right. material. You come home. You plug it in. You get the software all set up, and you print something. If your design is perfect right. and you've simulated it on your computer right. and like done digital simulation and yep. testing to make sure it's going to print okay, right. and you've done that properly, yeah and then you've made sure the machine is clean, but of course it is, it's brand new, and you've peeled all of your plastic off the smooth surfaces, right? and you print it, and it comes out, you have a perfect part in one shot. Right. The answer is yes. Correct. But if you're like, Alka, <laughs> and... What did she break? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't mean to pick on her. But like, like if, if, if you're how
0: I would imagine most home 3D right.
1: printers, right. you're just like... You're just printing out parts. If you, you know, scroll if through
0: the 3D printing uh, subreddit on uh, on Reddit, there's you're going to scroll through a lot of scrap parts before you get to the first good Bodhi. <laughs>
1: yeah. And what do you think happens to those scrap parts? Do you think oh, yeah. they can break them down and re- turn them back into <laughs> stock like printing material that they can throw right back in? No,
0: it's going to yeah. end up in the ocean. Uh, or a recycling bin.
1: So that's when I got a little dark. Okay. And it was like it's only yes if you get all of your simulation down right. and i so so the answer is from your probably perspective. no yeah and then on top of that let's say you do uh recycle your scrap parts sure. or you recycle plastic in general there's right. a lot of articles coming out uh this week alone talking about um uh recycling plastics like in bottles you know uh, shopping bags right uh and how to refine that break it down and turn it into uh material to 3D print with right that costs so much energy sure, and unless sure. you know exactly where your energy's from and your energy is green right if right. you will then no you're not doing anything <laughs> environmentally friendly. Sure. You're getting rid of plastic or well you're you're using some plastic that would normally just end up in the ocean. Sure. But it's it's you think that, it's a you're still, you're still putting a lot of CO two into the air. Yeah, yeah. Just to do that.
0: Can I give you my thoughts, Steve? Yes, I want to hear it. Right, so, I want to hear the
1: professional yeah. thoughts.
0: Well, let's not get carried away here. So, <laughs> the title I think is over oversimplification. So they're trying to you know compare like one process to whatever the reader thinks is another process. So a lot of times you'll compare it to a subtractive manufacturing, which is fair. Yes, you know most of the industry is subtractive at some point, right? But also let's look at you have casting processes, you have forming, you have joining. And then, of course, you've got subtractive. There's a bunch of other manufacturing processes that you should consider. Um, and subtractive encompasses a huge variety of stuff. You've got water jet, right? Then you've got uh, mills, lathes, whatever. So the idea of is additive better? Well, I don't know. What are you comparing it to? What metric of – what unit of measure are you comparing it to? So if you look at um, you know, maybe time and energy.
1: Oh, man, time.
0: Right? So if I have to form parts – yeah, I, I need to make dyes, but then forming those ten parts once I have those dyes is gonna be a hell of a lot quicker than making growing those parts additively, right? So yeah, so if you look at time, it depends on are you including
1: and time also depends on how many parts you need.
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. So you look at how many, yeah, and then you look at where where does t zero start? You started like the design process that would do dyes and manufacture dies and process it. Um, so there's a lot of questions on that. But then you look at, okay, energy. How much energy is used to produce those parts? Do you have the same amount of energy forming those parts versus growing those parts? And then and then at some point, you're probably going to have to machine features on it also. So and how much energy that.
1: is used to recycle scrap Correct, material, right. scrap parts?
0: And then I think the idea of time comes into energy also is that where are you starting to measure? I mean, do you should you go back to the mines where you you still have to harvest the same amount of material either way? But then now I've got to process them differently for, you know, powder or filament or wire versus bar stock or sheet and things like that. Um, then then you have the question of you're still going to have some scrap and additive, right? You're mm-hmm. still going to have some scrap powder. You can try and recycle it, but not all of it is clean enough to go back into the process. Um, do you include, is it, you know, recycling all that material back into the process? Well, in subtractive manufacturing, recycling, super alloys is fairly robust you want to harvest as much back to the yeah. mill right you don't want to throw that down a <laughs> yeah. drain uh, I maybe mean, you have aluminum stuff like that I maybe mean, you can just chuck it in the river but um you know the m- metallic um processes recycling materials fairly robust so you know the
1: especially with a legacy technology exactly. not a legacy a t- yeah, a traditional, traditional technology yeah,
0: exactly so I, you know back to the article i think it's oversimplification if we just say is additive better? What are you comparing it to? Does it get you, can you truly use less energy? Can it get you something faster? I don't know. It's really, really difficult to tell. And I think that's where we get the the current state of we're still oversimplifying the value of additive. We need to dig down a couple of more layers to see it. Additive can, what what does additive actually get you in the future? What leverage does it create for you? Yeah, I could go from a 3D model to a thing printed faster, like in your case, of Right. You know, if I buy a 3D printer.
1: First part or first prototype. Right, first prototype. Additives additives cross that line well before anything else. But I
0: still need to get that powder. I still need that filament, which you still have that problem in subtractive, right? I could. What if you need two? What if you need two? (laughs) What if you need 10? Yeah, What if you need 100? Yeah. (laughs) You know,
1: just keep ramping that up. It's like additives quickly looks like, okay, this is not the answer.
0: Right. Then you leverage the complexity of the design where – you can only make it additively or you have bimetals or some other interesting feature right so it's a fair question i don't think it's a fair way to answer an article i feel like you probably need a little more research and and you brought up the uh you know idea when we are prepping for the podcast today is of let's understand the process before i start cutting chips let's simulate this process and mm-hmm. figure out what is the fastest way to produce these parts you know if we look at simulating if i'm just a a job shop that has just a bunch of subtractive processes. I should be able to simulate all the processes to get from raw material to finished goods and see what is the most efficient way, either the time, energy, or dollars, right? So mm-hmm. being able to understand, maybe I should put it on this other machine, I can cut it faster, or optimize material better using better workholding, things like that. So I think there's a lot of nuances in that question that should be answered regularly within the manufacturing uh, floor. How do you feel about that, Steve? I know I, I, no, that was
1: exactly what I wanted in terms of like a discussion. Okay. And it got me thinking of uh it would be really cool in the future uh for our test bed. Yeah. What I'd love to do is if we got like a 3D printer, like a you know home sure. 3D printer, and we did hybrid manufacturing. Yeah. yeah. But open loop hybrid manufacturing. Sure. So we print something in a printer, and then we take that part and put it in the pocket NC right. and just have the pocket NC finish it.
0: Sure. Yeah. You, I, I think we can get there. Just because
1: uh, I, I don't mean to sound like at the very end of this episode we're ripping on additive because we're not. <laughs> it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere, and it's only getting faster, better, and more efficient, it's which not, is the cool thing.
0: It's not the electric bike. <laughs> It'll be around for a while. Electric but bike, sti- but it still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Where can we uh, people find
1: more info about us? amtonline.org/resources. From there, you can find you know past episodes of the podcast and you can also find our white paper series right as well as um you know just the latest articles that we've put out and you can even subscribe to the weekly tech report
0: awesome thanks Dave. thank you ben bye everyone
1: bye